Hey everyone, you're listening to the Simple Electronics Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, from the Simple Electronics YouTube channel. And with me today, I've got a very special guest, Thea Flowers. How are you, Thea? I am well, and I am happy to be here. How are you? I am I'm actually well, and I'm happy to have you, so that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I've been following you on Twitter for uh, quite a bit, and you've been posting some of your... No, no, it's all good stuff. Um, it's you've it's been so posting... funny. It's funny that you say that, not to interrupt you. It's funny that you say that, because no. whenever I meet somebody in person, they're like, oh, I know you from Twitter. I'm like mortified. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. I they have to say, I'm terrible. <laughs> no, mo you know what? Most people um, have told me, like, seriously, that they're never following me on Twitter because they hate Twitter. Um, but honestly, <laughs> I found that's the greatest place to uh, to find makers. Like, that's where they seem to congregate. And uh, we were just talking in the pre-show about how makers never promote themselves. So instead, what they do is you get little snippets of what people are working on. And it's not like, a, hey, buy this, join Patreon, whatever. It's like, hey, isn't it really cool how these ICs are like floating on the solder paste as I, you know, as I put it on the hot plates? It's that kind of stuff that I find really cool. So that's yep. where basically I've been following you. And I don't actually know who liked your content or whatever that it made it show up on my on my page, but eh. I'm following you now, so there's that. Well, I'm glad they did. Yeah, me too. So uh, for those people who don't follow you on Twitter, and I hope they do by the end of the uh, podcast, can you just uh, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and what you do. Yeah, um, I'm Thea Flowers, as you mentioned. Um, that's that's my name. Um, at this point in my life, I guess I consider myself to be a music technologist and an open source advocate. I've done a lot of things in the past. I have worked for big, scary tech companies. I've done technical writing and web development and graphics programming and all kinds of things in between. So um, I'm, I'm a bit all over the place, which which tracks. I mean, that, that definitely matches my personality. Um, so right now, um, I run a synthesizer company that makes um, little Eurorack modules. And that is a niche of a niche of a niche, basically. Um, it's it's for people who like synthesizers, but like to build their synthesizers like Legos and have a lot of disposable income. Um, but it's everything I do is open source. So it's all open source hardware, all open source software. Um, even the documentation is open source. And um, it's been a really interesting sort of journey over the last few years running an open source hardware company. So let's actually start there then. Um, so you say your uh, your devices are open source, your hardware is open source, your software is open source. Um, now I've come to learn that open source means a lot of different things. Can you, um, yeah, I know. But it's true when, when you're not used to it, right? O open source could mean a few different things. So what exactly do you mean by uh, open source uh, software and hardware in your specific case? Yeah, so for us, it's, um, you know, we, we try to stick to um, a very specific way of doing open source hardware and software. And that is that everything is under a permissive license. Um, that means that you can take our designs, you can remix them, you can make your own design from them, you can use them as a base, you can incorporate parts of them in your own design. And 
that's fine. Um, for the most part, all you need to do is give us some attribution. Um, these permissive licenses are extremely important to me um, from like a sort of, I guess, um, like fundamental philosophy perspective, because the way that I learned how to do all the things that I know how to do is because of people making resources available on the internet for free and making them open source. So I sort of feel like, I, you know, I, I want to give back, but also I feel like I, I really admire that that exists and I want it to exist further. And I also want it to exist in the world of music technology where for the longest time, music technology has been very, um, <laughs> very secretive with stuff in interesting ways, I guess. So for us, being open source is just core to what the company is and what we do um, because we want people to learn, right? I, I often tell people that, you know, the, the point of Winterbloom, my company, isn't to sell synthesizers. It's to, it's to teach people. It's to empower them to create their own instruments with music technology and the fact that we sell the synthesizers is a bonus, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's what open source hardware means. Means open source hardware and software means for for me and for my company. So just to just to uh, clarify, um, that means that you make the source files available for like the PCBs, for example, and then someone can order the PCBs from a PCB house, and then you have the a circuit diagram available so someone can order the parts needed and and basically uh, build their own or even integrate your module in a part of a you know a bigger module per se yeah yeah um absolutely all of that um a lot of times what you'll see with some um like diy synthesizer stuff or even some like you know quote open source hardware stuff is that They'll give you the so-called Gerber files, which you can send to a board house to get manufactured, but they won't actually give you the the CAD file that was used to generate that Gerber file. So they don't really give it to you in an editable format or an easily editable format. And I think that's bogus. So <laughs> what what we actually published is the KeyCAD file, the KeyCAD project file that has everything. Um, you know, it has the the schematic in KiCad format, so you can go and look at all the footprint properties. All you can look at our bill of materials. Um, you can run, you know, our electrical rules check and everything like that. And for the PCB, you'll get the actual KiCad PCB file. So that means you can go in there and make a new layout if you want, or add more stuff, or you know, use parts of that layout in your own projects and everything like that. So yeah, I mean, I I really go a long way to make sure that all of our source files are in a format that is easily editable um, and easy to actually learn from. Um, and to take that even further, I try to make sure that the software that we use to create all of our products is also free and open source. So that's why we use KiCad and not Eagle or, you know, Orcad or whatever. Like it's, it's important to me that, you know, people can actually use and learn from our stuff with free and open source software. Now that is a hell of a commitment. You see, <laughs> when I design things, mind you, they're not as complex as your uh, synthesizers, but I make 
the boards and I make the Gerbers available and I make the STLs available. And um, a lot of it happens through uh, a sponsor of mine, which is which is fine. And uh, it go, all goes on their website and you're able to download from their website directly or order from their website directly. But to put the KiCad files up is something I haven't actually considered. And now I'm wondering if I'm a bad human being for not having done that. And by, I'm just, obviously I'm just kidding, but <laughs> I feel like I, but I feel like makers should make makers responsible. I think I should be releasing my keycat files. There's no reason why I wouldn't. I mean, I'm, they're not secretive. My, <laughs> my, I mean, my PCB designs are not like fancy. Um, so <laughs> I did, I, I didn't put two and two together that that might help someone learn the process and so that's actually very commendable. And I think uh, as long I've got a couple PCBs coming out shortly, I'm going to make a commitment to uh, have the KiCad files available. And uh, all of you listening can thank Thea for that. <laughs> I am so glad to hear that. I, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate for open source stuff, but I always say, you know, it's not always the best decision for everybody. You know, I have have other friends that, you know, run synthesizer companies and they're not open source. And that's okay. It's not the right choice for every company. It's not the right choice for every product or project. And that's fine. But I think where you can, at least, you know, for me personally, where I can, I'm going to make everything that I can open source. So. Yeah, that's a great philosophy. Because again, I come from it at the same angle as you came from it. I mean, electronics is not something I picked up uh, out of the blue, it came from mostly watching YouTube videos. And I mean, some of it, uh, my formal education as a mechanic, you have to learn a little bit, but just a little bit. I mean, transistors as a switch a little bit. That's kind of <laughs> the that's kind of the limit, right? Yeah. And so that's pretty awesome. And in fact, that brings me to um, one of our, well, our first interaction, at least, which was on Twitter, when you were answering, uh, you, you had a no stupid questions post, which I found was awesome. Oh, I need to do and another one of those. <laughs> yeah, you should. Absolutely. And um, I had what I felt was a stupid question. Like, there's so much in, the, in terms of uh, electronic noisemaker circuits. A lot of them are kind of trash. Like, they're kind of like oscillating a, a speaker back and forth at the same frequency. It's, you know, it's okay as a learning thing, but it's not very fun as a finished product. So yeah. I had asked, uh, I had asked you, where do you start? Because, you know, I saw a lot of the kits, uh, including yours, they're quite pricey. And I'm sure they're worth it. But for someone who doesn't know um, what this whole thing is about, I asked you, where do you start? And you, of course, said, if you remember. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, the Atari Punk console. That's what you yeah. said. Oh, that one's so much fun and it's so inexpensive. It's, I love it. So, I actually designed um, a PCB because. Oh, you designed um, one for yourself. That's awesome. Absolutely. That's even better. That's even yeah, better. Yeah. And, and I, I released that. it and I, and I made it purple because it was kind of like uh, your, your color, your colorway almost. Love um, it. And that's the video I had sent you because I did, I mentioned your, your name. So, you know, I was like, well, here, just make sure that uh, she's okay with this first. <laughs> and, oh, yes. Uh, I, okay. I remember that now. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was yeah. lots of fun. Uh, and it makes fantastic noises. And I've got 
you know, 10 PCBs out of it. So I, I think I need to design 10 uh, or I need to build 10 up and then, you know, attach it to some sort of sequencing thing. That would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, you, you could have a 10 voice polyphonic Atari punk console if you have 10 of them. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. And so can you just explain the Atari punk um, circuit? Because I have in my video, but I think it's better uh, from if you don't mind explaining it to the audience what an Atari punk console actually is. Okay, so it's been a long time since I've built one. <laughs> but basically, I mean, from just a super high level, it uses the extremely cheap, extremely easy and to come by an extremely popular 555 timer. Like in terms of legendary integrated circuits, the 555 timer is is extraordinarily legendary. There are people who don't know anything else about electronics other than a transistor is a switch that still know about the 555 timer. And the idea is basically just to combine two of them and it creates a noisemaker circuit. And it, it's just, it, I mean, it's, it's such a wonderful, simple circuit that can create interesting sounds that, um, that sort of the reason it's called an Atari punk console is it kind of sounds like, the old Atari square wave sound from the Atari 2600. Um, and I don't know. I, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful circuit to introduce people to DIY like synthesizer or audio stuff because it's, it's super inexpensive. It's easy to put together. You can put it together on a breadboard in an hour or less and you can make all kinds of noise with it. And the best thing about making a noisemaker is that you made it and then you get to make noise with it, which annoys everybody around you. And that's just, that's just the fun of it. <laughs> and it sounds so deliciously retro because it's an understatement that it sounds like, like an Atari. It sounds like the eighties. It's, it's what it sounds like <laughs> the entire era. It, um, it's great because if I'm not mistaken, it's just like one triple five timer that triggers another triple five timer to reset at a certain interval or something like that. I had looked at the circuit before, but you literally need a pocket change worth of components and it's so much fun. It's easy. It's a beginner project and I mean, it just works like it's it's great. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. I I mean, it, it it's not the first audio circuit that I built. Um, I think that would have to be a fuzz pedal for a guitar. Um, That's a very common project too. I've heard. Yes, of course. Yeah, because it's it is also very simple to do, and if you already have a guitar um, <laughs> and an amplifier, you you have you know. 90% of what you need to pull that off. Um, but it was it was one of the first ones, um, maybe like the third or fourth one that I built, and I, I absolutely loved it. Um, if folks are looking for a kit, um, that obviously they should check out yours. Um, but I would also recommend checking out the Oscatone APC, which is um, a really cute kit that has 3D printed knobs and stuff that you can play with. Um, and um, Oscatone also has a Poly 555 synth, which is a bunch of 555 timers making a polyphonic synthesizer. So each key is actually wired up to a 555 IC. <laughs> so you can play, you know, chords and multiple notes at once. And 
it's just such a weird, wonderful thing. And it shows you just how versatile and inexpensive the 555 is that you can build a instrument that has 16 keys and um, actually it has 20 keys um, and put 20 555 timers in there um, to make it make noise, which is just so cool. So uh, Oscatone, right? O-S-C-A-T-O-N-E. I'm just trying to get a visual here for the... Oh, yeah. So it's, it's O-S-K-I-T-O-N-E. O-S-K-I-T-O-N-E. There we go. Oh, there we go. Oscar. That's why I, I was like, what the heck? Like, I don't, I'm not talking about an armored personnel carrier for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm no, this sure is not what you're talking about. This is quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. There we go. The APC. Wow, that's actually very cheap. Yeah, it's and like also they're bucks. open. They're open source, and not only that. What what I think is just so cool about Oscar Tone's stuff is um, his like, like um, like three D print design is all done with Open SCAD, which is like a programming language CAD. Like you build. You build like 3D models from a like programming language, basically, and he designed these entire synthesizers using OpenSCAD, which is just incredible. It's it is truly incredible, um, just amazing work. So, um, yeah, everyone who's listening to this, you should just at least download uh, Open. It's Open SCAD, OpenSCAD, um, because it's it's like. It feels like you're you're trying to use CAD in DOS. Basically, it's like, it's like command prompt <laughs> <laughs> modeling. Um, people like Big Clive, though. I don't know if you uh, you watch Big Clive at all, um, mm-hmm. but he he loves OpenSCAD because all he, he doesn't he doesn't want to hear a thing about Thingiverse or princi- uh, printables. He wants to copy his like OpenSCAD. Uh, code and paste it in the description of his video and he says just use this don't worry about it oh my god so i love that <laughs> yeah i i'm also a big fan of open scad and like you know i've i've done lots of designs in it but when you go and see something like oscar tone and you're like okay this is someone who's mastered it to like an extent that is just incredible so yeah it's like um I don't know if you're uh, well. Obviously, you're you're into software. I don't know if you've heard of the story of uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon, the the first game. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> How? Yeah. So for the listeners out there, um, I believe. Oh my God, I can't remember his name now. Will Wright? Is that him, or is he the Maxis guy? I never remember. Uh, I don't know. I'm really bad with names. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So the 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 guy who coded Roller Coaster Tycoon wrote it in such a low-level language, like it, it's basically machine code, and it works so well because of that that you can run it on, you know, the machines it was designed to run on, which was like Windows 95, all the way up to Windows 10, and it runs so efficiently because it doesn't have the overhead of translating, like even, um, like Python has a lot uh, of inner workings before it gets down to the machine code. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm, I'm speaking about coding here. But <laughs> machine course. code speaks basically directly to the to the processor. So it runs extremely efficiently. And that's kind of like what what OpenSCAD is. It's like you know, directly <laughs> manipulating like I want a line of this length type thing. Yeah, yeah. Take this, take this square and subtract it from this circle. That's the shape that I want. It's yeah. It's 
Yeah, you're you're speaking the computer's language more than you're speaking a human's language when it comes to something like OpenSCAT. Absolutely. And coding and I, we don't get along. So if ever there's a <laughs> rise of the robots, um, just ask me to code their firmware update and we're safe. We're good. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> what's your what's your background like how did you because you said you worked for some some big uh, software corps um <laughs> what what was the um the impetus did you go to school for coding or did you just learn on your own yeah so i unfortunately did not get a chance to go to college um because yay america um <laughs> i so i like as a youngin i wanted to i wanted to play music I had been coding since I was um, very young because I wanted to make video games and I never ended up making video games. But um, like in high school and stuff, I didn't really tell people about that because it was really nerdy. And I wanted to project this like cool factor, like I'm a rock star, not a nerd. So, so you know, I, I leaned into music a lot um, and I played guitar in a band for a while. We toured a little bit in the Southeast and just never really hit escape velocity. Um, so eventually I was like, okay, I should probably get a grown up job. Um, and I ended up working for a small web design firm. I think I was employee number four. Um, That's small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, from there I just kind of just kept sort of moving and I ended up working for a consultancy for a while, um, which is a good way to learn a lot very fast, but also a good way to burn out very fast because they will work you to death. Um, and, you know, when I was done with that, I decided, you know, I think I'm going to, I think I want to do something that involves more open source and more community involvement. So, um, I started working towards a developer relations job at Google, which um, which I ended up getting. Um, and that allowed me to work a lot more closely with the Python community, which is a wonderful community. Um, so a lot of my past work um, that people can see is in the Python community. Um, and from there, you know, I I was able to branch out and start exploring electronics and um, and specifically kind of bringing that back to music. And for me, like music technology is really this perfect combination of two things that I loved growing up, which were music and computers. And sort of being able to explore that overlap has been really, really good for me. Um, so despite doing software for most of my professional career, I really feel like creating physical things that you can interact with that make music or other types of art is really my calling. So that is awesome. Um, but so like you, you basically learned on the job as you went along. If I'm, if I read that correctly. Yeah, more or less. I mean, um, I kind of had to, right? I kind of had to be scrappy. I didn't go to college. So, um, yeah, I I had some programming experience from, from a teenager trying to make games and then I had to teach myself web development in my first job and I had to 
teach myself enterprise development at my consultant job. That's <laughs> and crazy. Then, uh, yeah. I've and then built, I had to, I've, I've built uh, WordPress websites and I've broken them more times than I can count. And so the fact that you learned like web dev <laughs> while getting paid is like the dream. That's awesome. Oh man. It's actually a pretty funny story of how I got that job because I was, I was actually working for like a, a little computer repair shop. Um, just like part time between shows and stuff because, you know, I didn't make enough money as a musician to really live. So, um, you know, I was still under the pretense that music would eventually be the thing that I was going to do for, for my live for my life, but, um, still needed to make ends meet. So I was working at a little computer repair store and we had this client, um, that was a little design, a little web design shop. And they mostly did like what's called brochureware, like just simple websites for small businesses that say, here's what we do. Here's how to contact us sort of thing. Um, and <laughs> the owner was like, Hey, we're, we're like really behind on something. I heard that you can code. Do you want to maybe take a look at this thing and see if you have any ideas? And I was like, sure. <laughs> I had never seen a line of PHP before in my life. Um, but I got really lucky because what what they were working on was a project that generated PDFs, and I had a lot of experience with graphics programming, so I was able to um, just blow through all the graphics related stuff in that project. And PHP was similar enough to um, the programming languages I'd worked with previously, so I was able to get it done pretty quickly and get them called up. And afterwards, he was like, "Do you want a job?" And it was just so perfectly timed because at that point the band was kind of winding down and I was starting to, you know, realize that I needed to get a full-time job. So yeah, it, I got really, really lucky, basically kind of fell backwards into that job and literally fell onto your lap. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you were, you were also saying, um, that your, that your company Winterbloom, you said we all the time. Is this, is, do you have employees or do you have partners or what's the deal? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's me and a production assistant, uh, Maggie, who is absolutely amazing. Um, and also two cats. And I don't know if I would classify the cats as helping or hurting, but <laughs> they are here. <laughs> I vote, I vote hurting because if ever you need a plant pot to not end <laughs> up on the floor, it's guaranteed to end up on the floor. Oh my God. Yeah, they are, they are something. One of them, uh, Lily, her favorite thing to do every morning when I come downstairs to the workshop to work is to stand in the hallway and scream at me for no reason. And is it, is it just preemptive just in case you're going to be late with her food or what? I, I, well, I always <laughs> feed her right when I wake up. So she has food. She's just, you know, she just wants to sing me the song of her people and, I I get it. I also just want to scream sometimes. So <laughs> I think um, Adam Savage from Mythbusters fame, he he said that um, cats are assholes, and if they could talk, they would probably say, "Yeah, yeah, we are." <laughs> 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 yeah, they don't have any shame about it. They they know no. exactly what they're about. <laughs> and it's like the only it's the only animal can, that could be like, "Hey, this is my butthole," and you have to look at it. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it's true. It's it's true. basically that, right? Cats are the yeah. I don't even have an analogy. Cats are the cat of the animal world, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they are just so much themselves. That's it's just really, really what it comes down to. So, um, so you went from you. So you learned by yourself and kind of you know uh, worked your way up through the uh, the coding world. And then you started, uh, you started working in the like Python community, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what sort of work did you do for and with the Python community? And, um, like, would we know, would we be able to see some of the work that you've contributed? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you've ever installed a Python package, you've used, you've used stuff that I've, I've contributed to. If you've ever made an HTTP request in Python, if you've ever used the request library, you've used things that I've contributed to. Um, I I spent a lot of time with the packaging side of Python. So that includes PIP, the package installer uh, warehouse, or pipei.org, which is where we host packages, um, and the packaging working group, which is the group that kind of, you know, tries to make sense of all that. Um, I was also responsible for writing the documentation for packaging Python projects um, for a few years. Um, in addition to that, because of what I was doing at Google, I also had a lot of involvement with um, Python's web libraries, like HTTP libraries. Because at Google, I was working with our APIs. So like if you wanted to use a Google service for something and you were writing code um, and you wanted to talk to like Google Cloud Storage or something like that. Um, I was involved in the Python libraries that you would use to talk to those services. And they use requests and stuff like that underneath the covers. So I ended up, you know, becoming a contributor to those projects and um, ultimately was the maintainer for the library that sits underneath requests called URL Lib3 um, for a few years. Um, I, um, and yeah, so <laughs> there's there's a lot of my work that's uh, that people interact with every day um, in Python, which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I but, mean, it's got to be flattering as well, right? Like, I mean, I like standing where I'm standing here. So I have a little <laughs> bit of Arduino C under my belt. Um, mm -hmm. I have done most of uh, freecodecamp.org's uh, HTML um, uh, uh, course uh, from the from the recommendation of one of my friends, uh, another maker, which is another YouTuber. Uh, mm -hmm. I know his name is confusing, but it's all good. That's um, a great name. I, I, yes. Every time I hear about another maker, I'm just like, that's I, I such know. a perfect troll of a name. I love it. And you know why he calls himself another maker? Why he chose that name? Why did he it's chose because it? Because he has a YouTube, uh, I don't I remember if it's a Chromecast or something. He he has something he watches YouTube on a TV with, and he used another maker so he would be on top of the alphabetical list for his Chromecast. <laughs> uh, I it's love like that. double troll. And he's a Florida it. man, so he—it's all you know—it's all good. We can make fun of him as much as we want. Oh <laughs> yes, my my lovely neighbors to the south. Uh, there we, we go. We love Florida. <laughs> yeah, you're on the coast somewhere, right? You're also in Eastern time zone. 
Yeah, I'm in the Eastern Time Zone. I'm actually in Atlanta, Georgia. So a little bit of a ways away from the coast. But, um, you know, it's uh, not too far from Florida, unfortunately. <laughs> Super unrelated. Uh, but I have a 1989 CRX in my garage. And it, com- it comes from uh, Georgia somewhere. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Curry um, Honda in Georgia. I don't know oh if my that means anything, but... <laughs> um, yeah, that means something. That's the, that's the Honda dealership I go to. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> get my Jeez, car service have... because I drive yeah. a Honda, of course. <laughs> there we go. I work for... Professionally, I work for a Honda dealership, so... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, this but, is a uh, Honda family over here. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. We'll get along just fine. Um <laughs> Where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. So standing from where I am here, completely, you know, very novice, I would say, in in coding, um, what you've achieved, what you've contributed, it feels like it's like 30 years of learning away from where I'm standing. And the fact that you've got to there all self-taught is like, I can't even explain how impressive that sounds from from where I'm standing. So I'm sure that there are days where you're like, meh, it wasn't that big of an achievement. But um, (laughs) from someone, well, because, you know, some of my achievements, I also diminish like that. That's the, I mean, my wife pounds me for it all the freaking time. But (laughs) I just want to let you know how, how ridiculous it sounds that, that you've contributed to such a large project like this and your code is being used all the time. And so, uh, I mean, I, I dream of one day being able to code at the level that you, that you have already coded in the past. So uh, presumably you got even better since then. Right. So that's, that's very impressive to me. Well, I mean, I have a couple of pieces of good news there. Um, one is it definitely doesn't take 30 years because I'm only barely older than 30 years myself. Um, (laughs) and the other is that as much as I might try to, um, to be modest about it, the Python Software Foundation named me a fellow a couple of years ago for my work in the community. So they kind of made it impossible for me to shrug it off. So I, I appreciate them for doing that. I was very honored to um, to be named a fellow, which is a um, which is a, a rare honor. Um, there are a, about two hundred of them in total, I think. Um, and yeah, it's they they name people fellows for large positive impact in the python ecosystem so well um, it's it's well deserved my my dream is to be able to code well enough to contribute to uh keycad and freecad because as much as keycad is awesome sometimes it just doesn't do (laughs) what i want it to do which is fine because what i want to do may not be reasonable right i'm again i'm still standing at the precipice of of um, building great circuit boards like i'm, I'm just a hobbyist oh trust and me i'm no stranger to asking keycat to do unreasonable things there we go see <laughs> and uh the other thing is freecad um i wish it was more to my liking i know it's a fantastic piece of software i completely agree that it's that it's awesome and in fact i think freecad um on twitter uh, bashed me a little bit because I was like, man, I wish I could just learn to love this stuff. <laughs> um, but a Fusion 360 and my brain mesh very well. But my you know, code of ethics and my philosophy does not mesh with Fusion 360 or Autodesk in general. So 
I would like to make Freakhead a little bit function a little bit more like Fusion 360. So that's my dream is to contribute <laughs> to those projects to make them do unreasonable things and to do one thing more like a, a different software package, I guess. We are kindred spirits on that because I have also started using FreeCAD. Um, so I I only use OpenSCAD and FreeCAD now. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an adjustment coming from Fusion, Free, Fusion 360 or, you know, SolidWorks. So um, yeah, I, I would I would love it. I would love for FreeCAD to get better. And it is getting better. And I am very, very thankful for the people who are contributing to that. And I'll be very thankful when you contribute to it. <laughs> if I don't break anything, for sure. <laughs> I, honestly, breaking things is part of the process, right? Like, um, And you know, if that's your dream, I it, it can't be that far away, right? The thing about these open source projects is that like, and this is something that I had to learn early on in my journey with open source is that the barrier to contribute is a lot lower than people think. Mostly the barrier is you just got to show up. You got to show up and you got to be willing to figure out what needs to be done and try to do it because most of the time that's what's lacking. Like it's not that people don't know what to do. It's not that people don't, you know, have things that need to be done. It's just that someone needs to show up and do it. And for me, sort of initially getting into open source projects, um, it was documentation that really sort of let me get into open source projects and become a contributor and eventually become a maintainer of projects was just starting with documentation because <laughs> every project needs help with documentation and you learn so much about how it works and how it fits together by trying to document it. And I always recommend to people, if you want to get started contributing to an open source project and you have absolutely no idea where to start, fix a typo <laughs> so that you know how to send a pull request. <laughs> and then, you know, write some documentation that's missing, right? Like if you figured out how to do something with that software that isn't written down somewhere, write it down for the future, right? Write it down for everybody else. And that is a really wonderful way to get started. And then before you know it, you'll be writing code. And then before you know it, someone will be like, hey, do you want to be maintainer? And you're going to be bright-eyed and foolish. And you're going to say, yes, I'll be a maintainer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've got I've got confidence issues when it comes to uh, people relying on me. But, uh, you know, I was just trying to stop myself laughing while you were talking because I, I actually <laughs> am a contributor on um, User Spice. I don't know if you've ever heard of User Spice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, another maker, my my friend, another maker. He's the one who designed it. It's his software, awesome. and I I contributed to some of the um, the French translations because the the wording was a little awkward. So I, I think I've I think I changed uh, two things and then looked over the rest. Said yeah, it looks fine, and he put me as a contributor. <laughs> That's all you have to it do. Awesome. That's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I so mean, I mean, so do you use User Spice? I do not. I've heard of it. Um, yeah, but that's all you have to do to contribute. Like, I I totally understand like the confidence issues and stuff like that. But I will tell you, as someone who has reviewed hundreds of thousands of lines of code and has reviewed 
you know, hundreds of documents, you're not going to send the worst pull request that someone's ever seen in their life. <laughs> I promise. You would have to try extremely hard to pull that off. I believe that. Uh, another maker has talked to me about some of his um, 11th hour, uh, you know, coding nights where something got updated somewhere like like one of his libraries or something that he's been relying on gets updated and it just breaks absolutely everything <laughs> and um i don't know how much he's comfortable with me saying but he had massive clients that need uptime not have their servers up and so you know i feel like his job is is a little bit because he's a uh, self-employed he has his own company and I feel like his job is a little bit like um, what they describe a police officer's job. It's like eight hours of boredom and one hour of sheer terror. I think that's a little bit descriptive of his, uh, <laughs> of his workflow. Everything's working fine until it isn't. And then he has to make it work fine again. Yeah. So, yeah. Oof, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. I don't miss, I don't miss jobs like that. <laughs> I very much like the the leisurely pace that I have in my own company now. So, yeah, and actually, let's talk about your company um, and the leisurely pace because <laughs> I'm looking at your stuff, and your stuff isn't cheap, which is which is not an insult. Um, it's <laughs> because good, well, no, like good products need a, a fair price tag on them, right? Um, so what? What makes your designs um, special and what makes them um, worth that much money? Because, <laughs> I mean, for a person who knows nothing about synthesizers, you, you're just going to have to educate me. So, first of all, this is just really funny to me because this is where I see such a massive difference in the people I interact with that are in the maker community versus the people I interact with that are in the music technology or music production community. Because... The maker community is always like, oh my God, you you charge so much for this stuff. And the music technology people are always like, oh my God, your stuff is so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Different worlds. I know what a triple five timer costs. Don't try to don't try to trick me. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> I'm, I'm so, kidding, obviously. So, you know, I, I I'm definitely not trying to rip anybody off, but what really makes a huge difference in terms of cost is that being in music technology and being in such a niche inside of that means that my production runs are extremely small. Like we're talking, you know, first run is less than 200 units. Um, and then, you know, a big run is about 700 or 800 units for me. Whereas like, if you think about Adafruit launching a brand new, you know, development board, a new feather or something, right? Like, or, you know, Paul launching a new Teensy, that's, you know, that's at least a thousand units. Like that, the economies of scale are so much different. And we also have a lot of, um, a lot of other things to think about, like electromechanical components, like um, potentiometers and switches and knobs and things like that, that a lot of people in the maker community don't necessarily have to think about for a finished project, product, right? So... You know, I think it's it's if you look at things on crowd supply, like the um, the pixel pump, the uh, the little um, surface mount um, vacuum pickup tool that's really nice. You know, you look at that; it's it's a you know it's like it's almost five hundred dollars or something. You're like, wow, that's expensive. 
like, of oh, course it is it's, $500. So you're like right on it. Yeah. Of course it's expensive. Like so much had to go into that, right? Like they had to design an enclosure. They had to, you know, design all these mechanical parts that have to fit together and work reliably. So it's stuff like that that makes sort of developing stuff for music technology so different from developing stuff for the maker community. Um, even though there's so many similarities because, you know, inside of synthesizers, the world of synthesizers and especially modular and Eurorack, um, which is what we do, there is a lot of people who are DIY. They're like, there are very few people who don't know what a, a soldering iron is. There are very few people who aren't willing to pick up a soldering iron and put together a product that they paid, you know, $200 for. Um, but at the same time, the sort of economies of scale and the the way that pricing and um, construction works is very different. Um, but, you know, looking beyond just raw material cost, for me, I think what makes our designs special is, um, is first of all, they're all open source. So, you know, you're, you're not just paying for the bill of materials, you're paying for like you're paying to support that sort of ideology, that sort of it's, it's development. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean like you're always paying for R and D somehow. Right. But you're paying, f you're like as someone who buys something from us, you're, you're also paying to support, you know, me open sourcing everything that went into making it. Um, so, you know, you are basically paying for a, a commons, you know, a, um, a place where people can learn even if they can't afford to buy a module. Um, and, you know, the other thing I think that makes our designs special is just how I try to take something unassuming and straightforward and do it well and do it in a way that's well documented so that people can learn from it, right? Like one of my favorite modules um, that we make is just a little speaker. It's a, it's a speaker that goes into your little modular synthesizer so that you can hear it without headphones. It's also a headphone amplifier if you want to do that. But it's a simple concept, right? It's just, I want to hear the sound from my synthesizer. So, you know, how about a little speaker? And on the, on the surface of it, it's, it's so simple. But when you dig into it and you dig into the project documentation, it's thoroughly documented every decision about every component that's in that ha is documented in the schematic. And it's really there for you to just like deconstruct and learn from. And I think that that's, um, that's the real like magic behind our magical music machines is just how much the product itself is <laughs> like the physical object is just one tenth of what we actually provide. Um, when you look at the documentation and the community and stuff around it, which is very important, I had um, I had the oh my god, I don't remember his name. I'm having, by the way, I've been having a rough couple of weeks with uh, uh, working long hours and uh, having like sleep and anxiety issues. But anyways, I had uh, a gentleman that worked for um, Arduino on in the podcast, oh. which was awesome. And like literally, like he lives in Italy, works for Arduino. <laughs> you can't get much more Arduino than that, right? <laughs> no, exactly. Like like head office type thing. And he was talking about how, because I was telling him like, you know, a clone is 
an, an Uno clone is like four or five dollars, and the Arduino is, you know, forty five dollars. And I was saying, like, I think I understand why there's a price differential, but I'd like to hear it from your perspective. And that's he was saying a lot of the same things that you were saying. It's the documentation. It's the software. It's the um, the accessibility. Uh, it's the library management. It's all this stuff comes at a cost. And um, like I was calling your 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 kids expensive. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, I was saying expensive, but I also know when you put the word boutique in front of whatever <laughs> noun you want, the price goes up tenfold because of those small volume, uh, very specialized devices. I completely understand that. I just wanted to Obviously, I wanted to see what, what no. the magic was from your, your perspective. No, but. of course. Like, no offense taken. I totally get it. And, and it's... Oh, go for the it. The fact that you open sourced it at all um, means that you're not um, profit-centered. Obviously, you're profit-seeking. You kind of have to be. I mean, someone's <laughs> got to pay for the electricity. Um, but Yeah, you're, someone's got to pay for the not, cat food. <laughs> ex yeah, exactly. Or else the cat will just eat you while you sleep, right? <laughs> want to do that she um, sure will <laughs> yeah they they and again they wouldn't be ashamed they would they would admit it um but yeah the, i mean that's the thing if uh, anybody who's listening to this has any illusions that uh, your company is profit driven uh then nothing would have been open sourced you wouldn't be able to source the parts without you know uh, without you folks knowing about it and build your own at home or at least you wouldn't be able to without reverse engineering it like everything is there this yeah is, i just visited your github while you were talking <laughs> and i just took a look at the um uh, at the soul am i saying mm -hmm. that right soul yeah soul yep that was and, our first uh, module it looks it looks damn impressive i mean all the documentation is there um, I just, for fun, I went to Mouser and I just checked how much an OPA 4197 costs and it's like $6 each, um, <laughs> which is, which is expensive. I mean, I'm, I'm using LM, you know, 387s or 386s, whatever they are. It is a precision uh, offhand. So yeah, it's going to be a little yeah. pricey. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, high quality parts, good quality design. And might I say, uh, artistically focused uh front panel as well mm -hmm. which is which looks very good uh i mean uh subjectively obviously um you know it's it's all it's all worth the cost and especially knowing that you're supporting the the maker who's putting this open source and you're keeping someone like you in business i mean i think that i think it's well worth it even though the dollar amount may seem high yeah i will I mean, say though i paid uh, more than that soul uh, module for a single <laughs> guitar pedal before. So, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you yes. get it. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's, it is so funny to me. It, it's so interesting that you bring up the Arduino thing and the Arduino clones because I've been asked so many times by people in the music technology industry, like, why do you open source stuff? Why do you give your designs away? Like, aren't you afraid of people cloning your work? And I'm like. This is music technology. They're gonna clone it anyway. Like yeah, oh yeah. Like the, like how many Fender Stratocaster Fender Stratocaster clones are there out there? You Hundreds. mean the ones not even made by Fender because Fender clones their own stuff. Exactly. They have the Starcaster line. 
<laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, like, there's nothing unique about the Stratocaster anymore other than the fact that Fender makes it. You're no longer buying the Stratocaster, you're buying Fender, right? Like, and it's the same thing with any music technology company. You're not really buying the product so much as you are buying the values and philosophy of the company behind those products, right? And, you know, I think that that a lot of people miss that, right? They think, oh, I just got to make some amazing product and, you know, I can be an asshole. <laughs> people are going to buy it. And yeah, some people will, but like ultimately what builds brand loyalty or I hate that term, but what builds a community around something in terms of music technology is being good to your community. Like Fender saw about a decade ago that guitar sales were declining, but they also saw that they were only trying to sell to boys. And so they started trying to sell to girls or just listening to what girls wanted. And it's fundamentally changed the company. And, you know, that just goes to show that Fender could have made the best Stratocaster in the world. But if they weren't looking in the right places for inspiration and they weren't working with the right people, it wouldn't have mattered. And to me, that's what's important is that, you know, I, I'm not here to build synthesizers. I'm here to build a community. I'm here to build, you know, a group of people who are enthusiastic about making music and making things that make music and learning and sharing that knowledge. So I might have a stupid question on the heels of that. Of course. I love stupid questions. <laughs> I always tell my students, no such thing as stupid questions, only stupid people. So uh, here we go. Um, I'm kidding, kidding, obviously. Um, what do girls want that are different? In, what do girls want different than men in uh, in guitars? Do you know the answer to that? Because I can't, <laughs> I can't fathom it at the moment. Oh my god! I mean, like it's it's subtle, but at the same time, it's not. Like even when it just comes down to like color choices, right? Like um, we look at a lot of <laughs> like vintage guitars, and with with some exceptions, like the colors are all very like dark and masculine and mm -hmm. all this stuff and red, then like blue, sunburst yeah red blue and sunburst <laughs> and it's like okay like some people are gonna be into that but like you know and uh, as as lame as i hate like how you know how we we genderize color or whatever but even something as simple as like offering some like lighter shades or some pastel shades in student guitars um like fender is done with the mustang like that encourages people to pick it up. But what Fender like really did was just start featuring female artists in their advertising, in their, you know, in, in their marketing, in their product decisions. And that just being able to see people who are like you doing something is enough sometimes. And, that is so important because I think for, I mean, if you ask someone who, who are the greatest guitar players in history, you're going to hear a lot of names of dudes, right? But that's changing, right? Like, you know, you've asked people who, who are some of the greatest guitar players alive today? Like St. Vincent's going to be on that list. She is amazing. Um, 
you know, it's, it's things like that where, you know, the product itself doesn't have to change much. It's everything else around it. And I think that that's super important to think yeah, about. That's, I've, you know, not of my own fault, but I've only had um, a couple of, of women guests on the show and they, they all say the same thing. Like they never thought what they're doing now was a possibility when they were a kid because they saw nobody that looks like them doing what they do now, which is yep. frustrating because yep. it's not even close to the reality. There are tons of women makers. They just don't get featured by algorithms. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I, it sucks, but uh, I mean, what, what can you do? And the worst part about me reaching out for them to come onto the show is because the internet is such a hostile place. If I send a Twitter DM, it just goes unread. <laughs> I mean, I I go like I don't want to call anybody out because it's not their fault. But it, I send, I probably sent about a hundred Twitter DMs in the last year, and almost every single one that goes to a woman that I follow that's a maker is unread because why would a woman go into her DMs on Twitter? It's a cesspool. Yeah, that's that's what we call self-harm. Um, not a good yeah. idea. <laughs> never yeah. read the DMs, never read the comments. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the thing is, is that the internet is such a toxic place for us that, you know, we have to depend on our own networks of people we know and trust to, you know, to really seek out opportunities like this. And that sucks, but, um, you know, it it is... It is good to see some some of this changing quite a bit. So, um, yeah, yeah. I posted on uh, Naomi had uh, Naomi Wu. Don't know if you know her, um, but uh, she posted something that some some guy was complaining about in her comments, and I'm like, you know, sometimes I just feel like I need to apologize for my for for you know my gender, and she's <laughs> like, no, no, it's not you, it's these assholes, and she posts some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's hilarious. But at the same time, like Jesus Christ, like can we just like treat people like people already? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. I would. I would like to respectfully ask every man on the internet to just chill. <laughs> and <laughs> if you were already chilling, just keep doing what you were doing. Yeah, just, just keep chilling. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I really. I mean, we could go down this rabbit hole if we want, but I feel like these people don't have daughters, don't have wives, like what you've never met a woman that's competent. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I think it says more about them than it says about women. Absolutely. 100%. There's nothing wrong with women. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> about that. So, um, so if someone is going to your website and taking a look at your, at your products, is there somewhere where we can listen to see what it sounds like, or is that not really a thing in the synth world? And again, you'll have to <laughs> forgive me because I'm standing on the outside. Um, yeah, if you, if you go to winterbloom.com, um, and you click on one of the products, there are videos, um, or there should be videos of people um, using some of our instruments. Um, some of our modules are what's called utility modules, so they don't necessarily make sound themselves. So those won't necessarily have videos. But um, 
you know, if you click on our first product in the list, which is called Castor and Pollux, um, you will find some lovely videos of people that are not me doing amazing things with it um, because I am not very good at writing music. So it is always wonderful to feature someone else's work in that regard. Um, so yeah, you can go, you can go to our website and there will be videos and, and stuff like that that you can check out. Um, also, our user guides, our manuals for all of our products are web-based and interactive. Um, so to use Castor and Pollux as another example, if you go to Castor and Pollux's user guide, um, not only are there interactive things that you can play with to understand how it works, but there are lots and lots of audio samples that you can listen to and, um, and hear all the different kinds of noises that it can make. Well, that's awesome because that's something that I would, I would need at my knowledge level before I could decide to make a purchase. So For that's sure. actually really cool. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so you have some, oh, and you sell these things in kit form too. So what's what's involved in kit form? Is it literally just all the pieces and you got to solder it yourself? Um, so all of our kits have the surface mount stuff done for you. Um, and Probably if it a has, good idea. yeah, if it has a microcontroller, that microcontroller has already been programmed for you. Um, and if it needs any calibration, that's already done as well. So we try to make, we try to set you up for success as, as much as possible. Um, so we include all the through hole components for you and you get to put those together and, um, solder them on and, and bring everything to life. Um, our build guides have pictures for every step and they are very pretty and very approachable for people. Um, I can't tell you how many people have told me that big honking button was their first kit ever. Um, and that they loved it so much that they bought another one. And I'm just like, why do you need two things in your synthesizers that make goose noises? But, um, <laughs> you know, people love kits. Um, so yeah, our kits are, are really wonderful, I think, and very approachable for beginners that, um, that want to do modular synthesizer stuff. So wait, the big honking button makes goose noises for real? Yeah, that's why it's called a big honking button. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually it's actually awesome. a sampler that runs circuit python so you can put different samples on it and you can even change the code and make it do all kinds of cool stuff um there's lots of code samples for it that show you like all kinds of cool stuff that you can do with it but um i am shocked literally shocked at the number of people who buy one and just keep the goose noise on it <laughs> it's just it's just amazing I feel like there's got to be a like like a cheat code, like a Konami code, where when you change, when you add different things to it, there's still a way to bring back the honk without <laughs> software. You know what I mean? Like it's got to be like you know you you put the you put the 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 patch cable in this one, then this one, then the left, left, right, right, down, up, down, up, and then you press the button, and then you get the honk no matter what. You know, I. Be. If I do a V2, I am 100% going to make that a reality. <laughs> there we go. Sweet. I'm, I'm a contributor now. <laughs> you, you are. I'll have to give you credit for that idea, 100%. <laughs> no, thanks. Don't tarnish your, your awesome stuff with my name. <laughs> Don't need that. So it literally makes goose, goose noises. That's awesome. I thought oh, so. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, need to, I need to make uh, useful, useless things like that. Or useless, useful things. Yeah, useless, useful things. Things that are useful but are being used uselessly. There we go. 
that is that is our brand to do something unexpected and delightful that is actually useful um so that's that's what i'm all about i do love that it's also literally a big honking button because it's just if for people that that just you should go on the website and take a look but it's literally (laughs) a big button it's like the width of the of the pcb nearly yeah, it is a 32 millimeter arcade button. So, oh my god, it is I'm a very, just... very satisfying thing to to press. <laughs> You're catching me at just the right time because um, <laughs> what is okay well, in in your experience? Uh, I don't know if you have it or not, but what's the biggest uh, commercial LED you can buy? Like just just a regular, you know, like the five millimeter shape, the the classic dome. Do you know what the biggest form factor of that you can buy is? Um, not off the top of my head, but I do know if you go with um, what's called Cobb chip on board LEDs, you can get some massive ones. Um, yeah. DIY Perks so, on YouTube has like a bunch of videos of him like doing things with absurdly large LEDs. <laughs> absolutely. But the the standard like um, like indicator LED that form factor, the biggest I was able to find was 10 millimeters, which is, which is big. It's big, right? That's big. That's very big. um, But I have just designed and 3d printed a 100 millimeter led. And I've built a circuit board to go inside with NeoPixels and a ESP 32 running W lead. And this thing sits on, you know, two 3d printed silver legs. So they look like, you know, look like the, <laughs> the actual metal legs. And then I've 3D printed solder fillets for the bottom of those legs, one square, one circle for the polarity. <laughs> and it sits on a um, green base, so the PCB. And there's a USB cable going up through the leg into the inside. And the dome is uh, translucent PTG. And so uh, I, I now have it. myself a desk lamp that is basically a 100 millimeter LED, which... I, I thought was just awesome. Have you have you published that? Because I, I oh please let me know when you do. I would love to make one of those. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, and if you have a three D printer, like 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 I was saying earlier in the show, uh, everything is open source, so you can you can have your your PCB fab, you know, <laughs> uh, fab my PCB, and you can print my my design files, everything. And the best part about all this is I've broken out the. Um, for those of you listening that don't know, um, I'm sure Thea does, but I'll tell you guys anyways. The um, NeoPixels work, you just give them uh, power and ground, and then you give them a digital in, and then they take their signal and pass the rest along to by a digital out pin. So I've broken that digital out pin for the last LED in the sequence. So theoretically, you could have multiple ones of these LEDs chained together these big LEDs with these little <laughs> NeoPixels inside. So you can make an LED strip out of these 100 mil LEDs. So that's one day, maybe I'll print enough to do that. But I mean, each one of them requires like uh, probably, you know, 40 hours of 3D printing because they're big. So there we go. I, that's I my love contribution. this. My favorite genre of 3D printed stuff is objects of unusual size. So this is targeted content basically for me awesome well you know if shipping wasn't so expensive from canada i would just send you one oh my god shipping to and from canada is so expensive i feel so bad for my canadian customers i hate canada post for that i mean 
I like them in principle because they don't uh, cost the government anything. But at the same time, it's like, man, please, <laughs> I live in a major city. It's not like you're shipping all the way up to Nunavut. I mean, I am <laughs> 100 kilometers from the U.S. border. Come on, man. You could just have somebody throw it from the U.S. border. You, you can through <laughs> these massive swaths of unpatrolled border. <laughs> oh, yep. my God. So there's a service where you get a, a U.S. Uh, address just across the border in either Messina or Messina, New York, or there's another uh, popular crossing, uh, which I can't remember at the moment. But you get an address there and you can get anything shipped there. And then all you do is you cross the border and you grab your package and then you cross back. And so the border <laughs> agents, they're aware of this. And so like tons of people cross the border, pick up their mail and then bring their their mail across because it's cheaper for us living here in Ottawa to drive the 100 kilometers to the border, cross it, go to the UPS store or whatever the there's like there's like 20 of them offering this service. <laughs> pick up your stuff, cross the border again, pay your you know, excise taxes or whatever, and then be on your way then to have it shipped up. It's insane. Oh, I, I love the world that we live in. That is so absurd. <sighs> yeah. And with COVID, <laughs> it was even worse because then the border crossing became prohibitive, right? So Right, it was right. Oh, goodness. Goodness gracious. Well. Yeah. And then people got tangled up in these weird like uh, people live in Windsor, Ontario, so right, right on the border. Basically, they can spit on Detroit if they wanted to. And I guess yeah. it's more like Detroit would spit on them. <laughs> and they had like there was like people that had relationships across the borders and oh, they couldn't see no. their significant others for like a year because of COVID. Oh, that's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. International law for you. Woof. Big, big woof. <laughs> yeah, big woof. I've uh, I've took a look around the internet and you're you don't really show up a lot of places. Do you have like a YouTube channel or a Twitch channel or something like that? So I I used to do a lot on Twitch, but I stopped doing it um when I decided to move um back to Atlanta from Seattle two years ago. Um but I'm I'm most active on Twitter. So um, you know, I, I highly recommend if people want to keep up with me, follow me on Twitter. Um it is it is terrible, but it is the least terrible of all the other options. So, um, yeah. So You're I entertaining I, at least. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I post a lot of you know pictures and videos and updates about stuff that I'm working on, and I I do stuff everywhere from synthesizer stuff to 3D printing to um, robotics and automation stuff. So, if if you want to see someone with ADHD just being let loose. In a workshop that is that is my twitter um so a couple of political memes which uh which i appreciate breaks it up because uh here in canada we get mostly american news like <laughs> all our news is saturated with whatever's whatever biden's doing today um, whether uh, that's it gonna be, be i don't know yeah. i don't know if i would find that like comforting that like my own country is too boring to fill up the news or if I would just find that annoying that some other countries news is always friends. I mean, so Canada, it's it's like there's this saying, right? Don't don't buy a snowblower if your neighbor owns one. Well, <laughs> you Americans own all the snowblowers. 
And so we're just seeing if you're going to let us borrow it when we need it or not. You know, that's kind of what we keep, why we keep tabs on you folks. That's probably a good idea. I mean, if, if I lived next to America, I would keep an, a close eye on them. <laughs> it's funny because I, I don't, I mean, I, I here I'll, I'll say it on the podcast. I am pretty much a far lefty and, um, and Basically, I don't agree with almost anything, uh, <laughs> whether it be my own or your government does. But it's so weird because Americans, I love American politics. I don't love. Um, I don't understand how a bunch of people that I like um, could be represented by people that I don't like. I don't get it, but it is what it is. You know, as an American... I don't get it either. <laughs> okay, every, it's not just me then. <laughs> every time I go to vote, I'm like, how is this the best that we could come up with? <laughs> yeah, that's that's one thing. No options. See, we, we have an option um, here, <laughs> which a lot of people agree with. But the Canadian sentiment is that that option will never be able to form a government because it wasn't popular enough in the past. And so that option never gets voted on because of that. But you talk to people, they're like, oh, yeah, th their ideas are great, but I don't want to vote for them because they're never going to form a government. It's like, okay. Well, that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good politics. Lord. I try not to do politics, but here we are. I guess this is what happens when I'm sleep-deprived and <laughs> tired <laughs> and stuff. I mean, I feel like being a... I, you know, a queer woman in America, I, I, politics are unavoidable for me. So I, um, yeah. <laughs> I feel bad that your existence is, um, a political divisive thing. Me too. I man. honestly, honestly me too. do. <laughs> I don't know why it has to be, <sighs> especially because, um, uh, yeah, someone's, someone's, uh, queerness is like the least interesting part about them. Yeah. It's like just what they are, not what they do. Exactly. Exactly. Anyways, there we go. So, um, yeah, <laughs> all the upset right wing people just cancel me in the comments. But um, for the rest of you, I definitely want you to go check out uh, Thea's stuff, especially um, check out her synthesizers. Uh, even if you're not into it, it's a it's a good example of what's possible in the open source community because it's uh, like just I was just going through the website as we were talking and it's uh, very detailed your github has absolutely everything your website is actually very pretty as well well organized um don't go to my website because you'll um <laughs> you'll see the, the the tragic difference between our websites <laughs> but i hope you listeners um you know definitely go take a look uh, maybe follow her on twitter um, see what kind of uh, posts she's doing. And do you have any closing thoughts for the audience while, while you have them here? Um, not really. Go, not go really. make some music. <laughs> buy some kits. <laughs> yes, please buy, buy, buy my stuff. No, we're fine. The cats have food at least for now. But, but if you want to make some music with our stuff, <laughs> please, by all means, buy some stuff. Yeah, do it. And actually, if you do build uh, one of Thea's kits, uh, I want to hear it. So, you know, make a video, uh, put it up on Twitter, tag us. And my, uh, my absolute video. My absolute favorite thing is to see people share with me their kit builds when they get done with it. I love that. I love seeing people put together their kits. 
Is it bad form to say that we were talking about Steph Piper before the show and how much we love her PCBs? Absolutely not. It is good form. <laughs> Steph Piper makes amazing artwork. So Steph, um, if you're listening, hello. Hey, Steph. She's, prob she's probably not <laughs> listening. She's probably doing something way more productive. <laughs> probably off being cool somewhere. Yeah. Well, well, cool. Yeah. Well, she's in Australia, so I don't think it's too cool there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is off the rails well enough. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you on the next one. And Thea, thank you so much for taking some of your um, uh, hard-earned, I was going to say hard-earned time, some, anyways, <laughs> some of your precious time to come slum it on the uh, Simple Electronics YouTube channel. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>